Hey fam, welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gotze. The point of the Myths That Make Us podcast is to help you, the listener, and the guest when they come on, identify the conscious and unconscious stories that they tell themselves about who they are and about what the world is. Because I think that, no, I believe that I know that the story that you tell yourself drastically affects the life that you experience. And so I want to help people become conscious of what that story is. Welcome to the Myths That Make Us podcast. Today we have on Tim Corcoran. This dude blew my mind when I first interacted with him a couple of months ago. So he was hired by Aubrey Marcus for Fit for Service to host what is called a Soul Wander experience at one of the Fit for Service summits. And as one of the coaches, I had to go on a Zoom call and be taught by Tim about what a Soul Wander is and how you do it. And listening to him talk on that Zoom call and explain what a Soul Wander is and how you relate to it and the quotes that he was dropping and the psychological ideas that he was referencing in his worldview, I was basically screaming at the screen listening to him because for anyone who is a fan of this podcast, he is in exact alignment with the way that I look at the world, the way that I approach the psyche, the way that I approach dreams. And he applies it to nature. And it's just like, duh. You know, on one level, you guys already know, dreams are a part of nature. But I'm talk- he's talking about physical Gaia nature, like out in the woods, being in the ocean, and bringing the dream interpretive mindset to nature. Oh, it's... This podcast is amazing. He is one of my favorite humans that I've ever met. I truly consider him, weirdly enough, both a mentor and a brother. And you guys are going to love this podcast. And the podcast is brought to you by my newsletter, Feasting Friday, and my journaling course, Make Your Myth. Uh, It costs money to run this thing, and these are the two ways that I can continue to afford and to pay to do this, you know? And so if you want to support, check out the newsletter, check out the course, send it or share it with a friend if you think that it will help. And as always, thank you for listening. I motherfucking love y'all. Namasteezy. Tim, thank you for coming on the podcast. And before uh, I allow you to talk, I just want to share my experience with my audience Mm. about meeting you. So. Uh, we had a fit for service summit in Tahoe a couple of weeks ago, and Aubrey was telling us that he wanted to work with this man that does soul wanders named Tim Corcoran. And I had no idea who you were. And in order for us to prepare for the mastermind, the coaches did a Zoom call with you where you explained to us what a soul wander is and how to go and do it. And I remember as you were talking on the Zoom call, I wanted to scream and and you could see that I was like vibrating through the screen in my chair because everything that I have studied about the psyche and about how dreams operate and everything about Carl Jung that has most called to me that I've only thought about in the domain of the individual mind Mm 
Mm. Everything that you were talking about, about how nature speaks to you and about how to interact with nature and to interpret signs and symbols as messages from a deeper part of you trying to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I realized, oh my God, everything that I've ever learned about how to interpret dreams, I can bring that entire cognitive apparatus to nature. Yes. And actually, I've always felt a call to nature. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like I've been missing a limb because mm-hmm. I haven't had a connection to nature. Because growing up, I lived the cliche American life where I lived inside of a cube. I looked at a cube. I ate processed food. Mm-hmm. And what's wild and something I didn't realize until I went to Tahoe and I saw the trees is it brought back the memory of I had a, a small wooded area right behind my house that I always was in. Mm. But I never went camping. I didn't like my family didn't have the resources for us to go on any type of trips where I saw any type of cool huge land masses mm-hmm. and meeting you and hearing you talk like i feel so called mm-hmm. to like bring that limb of my psychic body back online mm-hmm. and then i did the soul wander and we might get into what mine was on this podcast and if not i can talk about it on a different podcast completely yeah. it was it was as psyche shifting as my most intense ayahuasca or mushroom experiences, which tended to be the most powerful transformative experiences in my life. And I'm so excited for my audience to just Mm. absorb your medicine because it is completely in alignment with everything that I talk about on this podcast. So thank you for doing what you do. And I'd, I'm going to give you a chance to speak now. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, you are certainly welcome. And thank you, Eric, for this opportunity to share my message here with your audience. Um, Yeah, and I was going to say that Soul Wander, as you know, and as I mentioned, is really just the tip of the iceberg because there's so Mm -hmm. much more. Um, No, I I, got to say our connection, I mean, your passion is so contagious Eric, I just, every time I think about you, I just start laughing and kind of giggling and feeling this electricity deep in my body, like rising up. I'm like, what is the, who is this guy, you know? And uh, um, so I I really, uh, you know, you and I share a a deep connection and I think we recognize that early on. Um, And these are precious relationships, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I certainly don't get this with everybody I I meet in the world. And, And when I do find these, you know, I tend to, uh, I tend to go all the way with them. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. So really stoked to be here. Um, maybe I can share a little bit about myself and my background for your listeners. How's that sound? Absolutely. Uh, the first question that I always ask on the podcast is oh, let's say that you just got done doing something that puts you into flow. And then mm-hmm. I came up to you and I asked you, who are you and what do you do? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Ooh, Well, that's a deep question. (laughs) And while I would recognize that most of the world would answer that question, who are you? Um, By what? By our roles we play, by maybe where we live, by maybe who's in our family. Um, The deepest response I can give to you is really my soulful identity. Um, and not to get too woo-woo right off the bat, but what the heck, I'm just going to go. dive right in. <laughs> uh, who, am, who I am at the deepest level, uh, I am White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary. 
And that is wow. a soul. That is a soul image that I've that I've personally connected with in dreams, uh, in multiple vision quests, um, in real places on the physical earth, as well as uh, landscapes in the dream world, uh, as well as visionary other visionary landscapes. And that what that does for me is because you asked if I was in a deep flow <laughs> state. Well, that, that's yeah. who I am. Uh, what that does for me is that act for me, Eric, that's where I access my deepest connection to the natural world, to the sacred living earth, where not only do I love this earth, but I feel loved like actively, right? Like to feel loved by the earth is to be at one with the earth. Uh, and in that space, that's where I access my gifts, my, my soul power. That's where I can look at my deep vulnerabilities, Right. Um, the, the trauma, the moments I've been betrayed, and not just be at peace with those moments, but actually be grateful for them. Um, which I know I just dropped like about five thousand seeds right there. <laughs> so Love. we're probably going to end up unpacking all that. Love. Um, so that's the deepest response. Now let me let me give a little bit more mainstream response. So um, my name is Tim Corcoran. I'm I'm from Sandpoint, Idaho, all the way up north, where I live with my beautiful wife Janine and our two sons. Uh, we have an 11 year old boy and a 14 year old boy. Uh, I'm the founder and director of Purpose Mountain, uh, which is an organization I started uh, four years ago uh, with the explicit mission of awakening. <laughs> purpose in individuals and groups through a nature-based connection. Um, as well, my wife and I founded Twin Eagles Wilderness School in 2005, so that was 15 years ago, uh, and we still serve as directors. Uh, our work there is uh, very explicitly to connect people with nature, um, and so we have a thriving organization. Well, two, I'm blessed to have two thriving organizations. Um, yeah. Um, so I could go into my whole story, but that, those are the basics. Yeah. Beautiful. How would your wife describe you? <laughs> Depends on the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm really, that's a great question. Gosh. Um, so I'm really blessed to have a, a beautiful wife. Janine and I have been together since, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, 1996. Let's um, go. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> And we've been married for 15 years, uh, as I said, have two kids together. Janine would describe me as uh, a sensitive, good man um, who is passionate, um, who loves the earth, uh, again, on a good day, <laughs> who loves mm -hmm. her right and, and loves my boys right. Um, I think Janine would describe me as, as a spiritual man. Um, and, um, yeah, maybe most importantly, just a, a, a good hearted guy, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana, so I've, I've got that yeah. whole piece going for me, you know? Yeah. And how would she describe what you do? Mm. Um, probably pretty similarly. She, she does this work as well in her own way. Yeah. She has a real gift, particularly for working with women and young women. Um, but I think Janine would say that, uh, Tim has a strong connection with uh, the visionary thread of life and is, was born to awaken that visionary uh, development inside of others mm. yeah, through the, through the, his connection with the earth. 
Yeah. Now I know that you've had a strong relationship with a mentor in your life. How would that mentor describe who you are and what you do? Oh man, you're, you're asking some good questions here, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, I've been blessed to have numerous mentors. Um, yeah. I'm a but big believer. One in particular. Yeah. 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 So I'm a big believer in the power of mentoring. Um, one in particular. Well, uh, the first one that comes to mind uh, is a man who's not alive anymore, Gilbert Walking Bull. He was a traditional Oglala Lakota holy man. Um, amazing story. He was uh, so he. I, I worked with him from 2000 to 2007, and he uh, has a just very briefly has the phenomenal story of he was raised off reservation um, in the 30s at a time when the reservation was really intense and the U.S. government was actively um, working to destroy the cultural ways and the traditional ways of the Lakota people. Um, amazingly, at this time, Eric, um, 23 holy people came together and brought together a small group of kids to raise them, right? And Gilbert was one of those kids. Now, you got to realize what a big deal that was. Like, to even have a holy person in our life is probably something that the modern American or modern person can't actually even imagine. Right. Um, but to have 23 would have been just ridiculous, right? Like right. traditionally maybe one holy person might match up to about 150 um, right. individuals like that who are not holy people. Like that would just meet the needs of the people. So to have even two together at the same time would be wildly um, <laughs> transformative just to like be in their presence, right? To be raised by 23 is literally inconceivable. Uh, that right, was, wow. yeah, that was his childhood. And so he was raised with the traditional ways of his people. Um, Gilbert, uh, to sit with Gilbert was like sitting with an ancestor. Um, and he was a traditional coyote teacher and coyote teacher is, uh, coyote <laughs> known as the trickster. So, um, to make that a little bit more accessible, it's not that he was constantly tricking us, although he was. <laughs> yep. um, his approach uh, to mentoring was more uh, implicit than explicit and more covert than overt, intentionally right. so, as there's a lot of um, benefits actually from um, from that approach. So without going down that rabbit hole too much, how Gilbert would describe me, oh my gosh, um, well, it's funny you asked that because I was <laughs> just on a vision quest last year when, when I, I had a, a deep connection with him and, and his spirit. Um, I had to settle into for this one. So uh, Gilbert, I think, would say that um, I'm a humble man who loves the earth, um, who recognizes sacred power, and it's potential for transformation for people and for community and for this world who is um, on a path of helping people awaken to their own connection with sacred power so that we can do just that, so that we can make a difference. We can leave this world behind. There was a phrase um, he had, and let's see if I can bring it back here. Um, the Lakota was, oh, Tunkashila, and she... And what that means is, oh, creator, oh, grandfather, great spirit. It is my burning desire to give myself fully to this earth and to my people 
that my mm. people might live. And in saying that, there's a lot that's lost, right, from yeah. Dakota to English. But yeah. uh, it is um, a recognition of, of that my primary intention in this world is to support the flourishment of life itself, of what we might call the tree of life, the spirit of life itself for future generations, for future kids, human kids, for future trees and future lakes and mountains. Um, yeah. How would that thing that we use the word God or spirit or universe, if you felt into how would that thing describe what Tim is and what Tim is doing, what would it say? Mm. Oh man, you are, you're digging right in, buddy. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, to all the listeners out there, um, if you're wondering, all my old stories are also coming up right now about like, oh my God, I'm not worthy. And, you know, I'm just a guy. Like, who am I to like put all this out there to the world, right? I still have all those stories too. Yeah. Um, but I've learned that those aren't real for me. Yep. Uh, so I do, res- but I am responding humbly and I do hold humility as a virtue still, uh, not in the sense of playing it small, but in the sense of recognizing our roots of the earth, humble. Uh, humus all comes from the the root uh, Latin root of of the earth. Actually, interesting. To I be humble is to be of the earth. Wow. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, I'm a total word nerd. Yeah. Um, so, how would Creator? How would the Great Mystery describe me? Um, mm. mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna again settle into this one then. <laughs> Tim is uh, pure love. He is a courageous, passionate, powerful man. Here to serve uh, those who feel called by wild nature to discover their place in this earth. Here to serve and help mend the hearts of the hope of the brokenhearted. here to bring healing and wholeness back to this world. Beautiful. And that actually brings us to the first major thing that I want to explore with you, which is also, again, perfectly mirrors everything that I'm trying to do in my personal calling and the way that I articulate my calling at this point in my life is to learn and teach the most adaptive human story. Mm. And what that means for me is what I have found in psychology that Mm -hmm. seems to be the penultimate goal of the therapeutic process Mm -hmm. is to be a type of reflection for the person that you are working with that allows them to, and this is my own language, Mm for the ego to step off of the throne in the internal kingdom and to allow the daemon or the soul to sit on the throne. And the ego learns how to be a servant of the daemon or the soul. Perfect. And I, everything that I'm trying to do with my company and my podcast and my online courses and the books that I'm going to write is to help people do that. Yes. And my main avenue for that has been to work with dreams. 
what I understand and why I'm so passionate about connecting more and learning from you is that that also seems to be your primary goal because you too have seen that that is the most effective way to get people to learn how to heal themselves is to take people on the journey to connect their ego to their soul. So I'd like to invite you to share what was your journey and, you know, and of course it would take a lifetime to explain Mm -hmm. that entire journey, but what brought you to realizing that this was your calling and then could you expand more on what that calling looks like in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, great. So, yeah. Um, how many days do we have here together? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Well, so I'm 46 and I was born in 1974. Um, I grew up in the Midwest in Indiana. So I'm a Midwestern boy. Uh, proud of it. And... Uh, I had a mixed childhood, Eric. I my my story was my childhood was mixed between on the one hand, like, dude, I grew up in the eighties. It was like we had, oh my god, we, we had a little pack of buddies and kids in the neighborhood, you know, that kind of owned the street on our bikes. We had a little bike gang and we had woods. Same, and we had, same, we had, yeah, yeah, right. And we had like trails going through the woods that were just made kid trails, right? That those yeah. trails were made by the feet of children. <laughs> now that's something you don't find too much these days, kid trails. No. But, um, so I had some really good times. I had a loving family, wonderful mom and dad, two younger brothers, an older sister. Um, and like, on the one hand, like a good, wholesome Midwestern upbringing in the eighties. Right. And it was like, what, back then we had like three channels, (laughs) right. And there was really no good TV shows on there. Certainly weren't phones and internet and all this, you know, and it was like maybe one night a week, there'd be one cool show, you know, and that'd be like some mystical or adventure show or something like that, that I'd be into. And then the rest of the time, you know, what did we do? We just played outside because that's what, that's what there was, you know? Right. And um, so, you know, a lot of blessings Um, grew up kind of middle-class and um, privilege, you know, white, white male. Are you kidding? A very privileged um, life. Yeah. And, and on the other side of that was some real trauma you know, um, so I experienced sexual abuse when I was really young, when I was six, that had a huge, huge impact on me. Um, I struggled in school and, and, and with, when, and with other kids in the neighborhood and I was bullied a lot. I had a lot of bullying growing up, um, from, you know, all through the grade school years. So like from six to maybe 13, 14, and even through high school, um, and then in high school, my parents got divorced. Um, now, I was always a really sensitive boy, like super emotionally sensitive, super spiritually sensitive. And like in the 80s, being an emotional boy was like, <laughs> you know, like not something you'd want. And yeah. I, I, honest to God, I mean, I, I had like my self-esteem by the time I got out of the teen years, man, it was really low. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. It was very low, um, very low self-image and the whole thing because um, – primarily because of those three pieces, you know, the abuse, the bullying and the divorce. Um, Those were, had huge, huge impacts on me. And, um, but I played by the rules, right? Growing up Midwestern kid, I was like, well, I got to play by the rules. I've I've run a lot of anxiety through my life. Um, Certainly that was present in my childhood years. And, you know, I wanted to be the good kid. I wanted to be the good son that played by the rules. So I, I always did, did really well in school, always very bright and, good grades and everything. 
um, but got through grade school, high school, went to college. Um, I actually got a degree from Purdue University, right, Indiana, um, in computer science. And computers always came easy to me. This was early on. I graduated in 96, and the internet was just coming around at that point. Um, but it wasn't my calling. You know, It was like, okay, this is something I'm good at, I'm skilled at, it comes easy to me. Um, but it certainly wasn't my calling. And in the college years, um, I will acknowledge, you know, I, I, um, by the time I hit college, kind of late high school, college, I, I, a rebel was starting to emerge. My inner <laughs> rebel was definitely starting to emerge. I'm like, what the fuck? This is life. Like, really? This is the American dream. What, what a, what a crock of shit. Like, like my parents just got divorced. Like I've been beaten up by the world and teased and abused. And like, and I'm supposed to like, keep doing that I'm, I'm supposed to like support this this story this myth fuck no <laughs> like are you kidding me yeah. so that led to some uh experimentation with drugs and i didn't have mentors i didn't have um ceremony i didn't didn't have um people i could go to at that point um and then there was a lot of sadness a lot of anger there was a lot of loneliness in there a lot of heartbreak um early earlier on so you know, going to drugs, it was like, wow. Um, I mean, just, I I wouldn't have said this back then, but very clearly, um, I was, that was one way that I was dealing with the pain that I was carrying at that point, of course, fully unconsciously. Right. Uh And, um, I did experience, um, an experiment with psychedelics and, um, those early experiences, I will acknowledge really awakened something in me. Um, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, but those early, yeah, early experience with mushrooms and LSD, you know, it was just us and our, my college, just me and my college buddies screwing around. Um, and yet when I had those experiences, I clearly, you know, that was one of my, I won't say my first, but one of some of my early first kind of conscious experiences of, touching the spirit that moves through all things. The other thing yeah. I should mention early on and when I was like seven, uh, six and seven, so actually right at the time of some of that the first early trauma, my dad actually took our whole family out on a, a big trip out West. You know, we vi- went, went through like the badlands of South Dakota and I saw the Rocky mountains for the first time, went to the grand Canyon, you know, and Oh my God, all these landscapes awakened wow. something deep in me. And, um, Interestingly, as a kid, I should also back up and say I always had an absolute fascination with indigenous cultures and particularly Native yeah. Americans. Um, always, always, always. So uh, anyway, back to the college years. So those psychedelics definitely awakened something in me and got me out of my own way. I, I, you know, Had I not had those experiences, I mean, I think I'd be a very, very different person today. Um, 100%. I, I was very, very sensitive. So it didn't take much to really activate <laughs> <Same>. me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I was like, my God, you know, um, I, I mean, those were some of the early experiences of, of experiencing the oneness of life, the spirit that moves through all things, as I said. Um, now I had, I, I had some negative experiences with it too. And, and so by the, before college was over, I, I had closed that door. Um, but at the time, I remember making a decision saying, okay, if this level of consciousness is possible um, right. through a drug-assisted or a plant medicine-assisted process, it must be possible otherwise. And I somehow yeah. instinctively knew that the Native American people of this continent had, um, yeah. had clues and had that pathway. 
And so I was like a junior in college. I remember realizing, oh my God, I'm st- what am I doing studying computers? I'm not going to do this. So, but I was also like, what am I going to do? Change my major and stay in college. I was so done with school, you know, playing all yeah. by the rules and all that. So I said, okay, I'll, so I finished my degree. I got my degree in computer science, but my heart was with nature. And I, I knew at that yeah. point, my life was going to be about nature and consciousness and the mysteries of life, right? Um, so I had a professor at that point, Professor Foley. Oh my God, love him so much. So he was part Lakota Indian, uh, mm. qu- one quarter. And he was teaching an advanced history course at a conservative Midwestern college that was actually an introduction to shamanism in disguise, right? Wow. <laughs> and he introduced me to Mitakwe Oyasin, that we are all related. Uh, yeah. introduced me to the concept of synchronicity. Um, and really, uh, I mean, I don't know how much, I never asked him how much he studied young, you know, but certainly he was, he was 100%. right opening up that, that window for me. And I don't know if you know, but Jung is actually the one that gave it that name. Synchronicity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love his early stories with that. Yeah, man. They're incredible. Yeah. So from there, it was, okay, um, I'm freaking done playing by the society's and parents' rules. I'm going to go live my life. So the day I graduated college, dude, I remember getting in my, my Ford Ranger and driving like 40 hours nonstop to, <laughs> to Arizona, actually to Northeast Arizona. Uh, where I had a single friend who was living and working on the Navajo Indian Reservation. And I was like, wow. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what the heck life's going to turn out to be. But I know I have to connect with the indigenous people yes. uh, of this continent. And so I did. And there's a whole story there with the Navajo. Um, I won't get into too much other than to say I, I wound up spending about a year and a half there. And... Um, seeking the old spiritual earth wisdom and seeking the practical ways of connecting with the earth as well, physical, practical ways of connecting with the earth. And what I found was, um, well, frankly, a lot of closed doors or so I perceived as such. Um, I wound up getting a job working at the, like a local utility company on the reservation, using my computer skills and all of that. Um, But, you know, I was seeking God, I was seeking uh, a spiritual connection to the earth. And during that time, I also, um, well, I was, did a little traveling as well. Wound up in Oregon where I, I, I met my wife, fell ridiculously head over heels, madly in love with her, uh, but came back to the Navajo reservation. And, you know, at the end of it all, I was like, okay, uh, Janine was staying up there in Ashland, Oregon. And I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to go be with her. And and I said, you know, it's been a good run this year and a half, but um, uh, my heart's calling me to be with my woman, you know. So I told the people this, you know, and well, they they threw this surprise party for me, and it blew my mind because living with the Navajo, for the most part, I was I was I was the odd guy out, right? As a white man, I experienced what it was like to be the minority, which is a very unique thing and something that most of us white guys don't get very much here in the United States. Um, So that was deeply awakening. But what they did, Eric, was they threw a surprise party for me with a big giant sheet cake, farewell, Tim. And everybody at at the organization I'd worked at, about 100 people had came and they all lined up to shake my hand. And the women came and combed my head, long hair at the time, combed my hair back and tied it in the traditional Navajo tie. They presented me traditional Navajo moccasins um, and medicine items and the the oldest man there rick nez 
um, beautiful, kind-hearted man of the earth. Oh my God. You know, he came in and acknowledged me as, as one of them. And, and they said, you know, you will always have a place here. You are part of our family. You are part of our people. And I was like, what are you talking? Wait a minute. You guys haven't even been talking to me the last like year and a half. This is what I've been wanting, you know, all along. And wow. I'm literally like super confused, you know? Well, one woman, Gloria, she took pity on me and she said, yeah, Tim, I can tell you're pretty confused now, huh? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you need some help. I'm like, definitely. <laughs> what is going on here? I thought people barely even noticed me, you know? And she said, Tim, you got to realize, now granted, what, what am I, 22 at the time or something, right? Right. Um, she said, Tim, you got to realize our people have a long history with your people and there's mm. a lot of trauma there and we're mm. very slow to open up to white folks. But you, what you have done is different. What you've done is you've opened up your heart. You've come here with an open heart and you've opened our hearts and something has been touched and healed there for us. That's why we're doing this. And, and if I may interject for yeah, a moment, yeah. a, thing that comes, a thing that comes up in me is there's something about the last moment of a story as we experience our life that then puts the rest into oh, perspective. Yeah. Yes. And if you were willing to leave and then they got to see, oh, he's not asking things from us. He's not trying to take things from us. He's actually ready to go. They can then understand and see and understand the meaning Yes. Of what you were because you were willing to leave like that and yeah. that allowed them to actually see you. And I, be I believe that's true. Yeah. I believe that's true. And it was so interesting. The other thing she said, Eric, was she said, this is our indirect way. And again, kind of back to this point of indirect versus direct mentoring or communication. And oftentimes indirect communication is a value for mm. indigenous people. She said, this is our indirect way of actually asking you to stay. <laughs> like we, we wouldn't actually outright ask that of you, but we're, oh, we're giving you our hearts here, Tim. And I was like, are you kidding me? Well, I was in a huge conflict, brother. Like I'm in love with the, literally the love of my life, head over heels, like so in love with Janine. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. This was before the days of unlimited long distance, dude. We had 600 phone <laughs> dollar phone bills every month. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I would feel bad because I only sent her one letter every day and she was sending me two. You know? <laughs> That's beautiful. And I'm like, I have to leave. I'm so sorry. And she actually sent a letter to Janine, Gloria did, petitioning her to move back wow. with me to the Navajo Indian Reservation. I'm wow. like, oh my God, you know. Um, but it was not, Soul was not calling me in that direction any, any right. further. And so one thing I have done since, since becoming an adult is I've always followed the path of Soul. So, um, I know I've been going on, so I'll kind of fast forward through some of the rest of this. Anyway, so Janine and I got together, um, wound up um, reading some books by a, a, a man who had become a teacher of ours, Tom Brown Jr., that maybe some folks are aware of. He's a, one of the world's best and kind of well, most well-known trackers and wilderness survival experts. He's got a big school in New Jersey called the Tracker School. And we read his books, got super inspired. That's when the first connotations directly of vision came forth to me. You know, he told the story of being raised by his uh, adopted grandfather, an Apache scout and medicine man uh, by the name of Stalking Wolf, who brought forth this idea of vision and the vision quest and this idea that, okay, life is not random. You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. And the great adventure of life is to dis is to figure out what the heck is that and find Amen. how to live that and express that. 
for the service of all things, the earth, future generations, the people, the children. And I was like, holy shit, I am on, you know, the vision quest. I, I'm ready to do it, you know. And uh, so we actually moved all the way out east to New Jersey to join this guy's school. And that was the early roots of our my, the wilderness school I now run. So we got involved with another school, the Vermont Wilderness School, and another mentor, Mark Morey. Um, and we gave everything we had, Eric, for five years um, to learn the skills of the earth, you know, the practical stuff, right? This is like wilderness survival, making fires by rubbing sticks together and building shelters out of branches and leaves that actually keep you warm and dry and what plants you can eat and which ones are medicine and which ones are poisonous and the language of the birds and animal tracking and all this amazing stuff, as well as a whole process of mentoring, right? We joined a community of mentors where there were numerous mentors who cared about me, who would show up and listen and hear what I'm going through and help me in, in my struggles and celebrate my victories and really be there day in, day out for me. And of course, I wanted to give that back. So I had an opportunity to learn this mentoring and at the time work with kids, you know, and ultimately other adults. And we just gave everything we had to it, man. There was um, the whole earth-based spiritual practices. We learned about the sweat lodge. That's when I first met Gilbert Walking Bull. Um, and of course, the vision quest. I did wind up on on a vision quest on my first one. And during that time, it became, you know, so that's four days. Uh, 96 hours, no food, sitting in a very small area with a single intention of what is my vision? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, and had a whole wild psychedelic experience there. And there were no psychedelics involved, no entheogens involved, but I had, I faced my death. I faced uh, all kinds of freaking projections, all kinds of shadow, all kinds of light. And ultimately it was made clear to me that my path was, well, the whole thing was made clear, actually, at that point, very directly, to answer your question, going full circle now. It was clear to me that I was going to marry Janine, that we were going to have kids. It was clear to me I was going to start a wilderness school, and not just a school, but actually build community around this shared value of the earth. And ultimately, I didn't realize this at the time, but it did, was made clear to me back then. It took me decades to realize this next piece I'm about to say that my calling as well was to awaken purpose and vision in others. Mm. Um, I will pause there because I know I've been speaking for a while, um, but that, you know, that was, uh, how old was I at the time? That was 26 or so. That was 20 years ago now. But I can say that very first vision quest, and listen, I've done a lot of others since then, but that everything about what I'm doing now was first seeded, I believe at that time. Of course it was seeded prior, but that's when I first, you know, realized it. One of the things that you mentioned that guided you in this journey, which clearly was you listening to the call of your soul. Yes. And what I would like to invite you to describe for people listening, yeah. how would you how do you know mm. in your subjective experience mm -hmm. when soul is asking something? And could you attempt to articulate it in a way for people who may yeah. not intuitively understand how to even begin to listen to soul, yeah. how they could begin to attempt to live a life guided by soul? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So the first question is, who's asking the question? <laughs> 
And what I mean by that is, am I, I like that. for our listeners right now, am I speaking? So listeners, this is a serious question for you. Is your ego asking this or is this something else? Because if it's the ego that's asking this question, how do I know it's soul? Then here's my answer. I don't. I cannot objectively prove or scientifically prove that soul speaks to me or anyone else. In the same way that I cannot prove that I love my wife, that I love my mom, um, that, that is, <laughs> if that's the question and that's the mindset where we're coming from, then it is an impossible answer. That doesn't mean that we cannot make a profound connection with our soul and discover it. But right off the bat, it acknowledges that it's not a question of the mind. It's not a question of the ego. It's like a fish being out of water. You know, like that realm will never fully understand it. And that includes me and includes Gilbert Walkingball and you and, you know, everybody. <laughs> like our mind cannot ever fully experience our soul. I, I, I don't believe that's possible. Right. At least not to the level where we can prove it um, scientifically. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe years from now they'll figure out how to prove that. That'd be amazing. I'd love to check that out one day. <laughs> but you know, for where we stand now, let's let's answer the question though. Let me answer the question from the other perspective. You know, how does soul speak? Well, one of the ways soul speaks is through synchronicities, right? So two seemingly separate events that are mysteriously connected, right? Um, Maybe uh, we hear about, um, sometimes I've always got a lot of synchronicities with animals. So maybe, you know, maybe I've never really had much of a connection with the red-tailed hawk, but all of a sudden it starts showing up and I start seeing it. And then, then I hear a song and somehow they, it's, it's really grooving with me and like, yeah, they mentioned red-tailed hawk and then somebody else brings it up and God, then it shows up in my dreams, you know. Um, so synchronicity is one way that that soul speaks to us. And early on, when prior to living a life of a soulful life, synchronicities really stood out. In the early years, it was like, oh my God, I had a synchronicity. And I, I look at synchronicities as like little stepping stones on the path yeah. of soul, right? And so, but what I've, as I've really yielded and surrendered to my soul's path, Eric, what I've come to find, of course, come to expect is that my life is chock full of synchronicity. <laughs> And the issue now is not, am I having one? The issue is if I don't, if I'm not experiencing synchronicity, something is up and there's a problem. Wow. Seriously, that, that's how it is. And that does happen for me. But, that and that makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, how else does soul speak to us? Well, soul speaks to us through our dreams, as you've mentioned. Amen. Yeah, soul speaks to us through signs and symbols and certainly through the natural world. Um, but... Soul speaks to us through feelings and intuitions, um, and certainly through ceremony, soul can speak to us. Um, part of understanding soul also happens in retrospect, I will acknowledge. And I know that's maybe 100%. not what people want to hear. It's, that's hard to hear when you're on the other side of it, looking ahead, like, right. what the fuck? You mean I got to wait and figure this out in retrospect? But honestly, as I look back at my life, um, those those callings, those possibilities, those people, right? Like you, right? Where there's all this energy and this electricity and um, synchronicity, you know, those are clearly 
individuals or experiences that that I want to follow. And looking back, when I when I can, as I look back on those stepping stones, and I recognize, oh my God, you know, hindsight they say, of course, is twenty twenty. But when we look back, we can see so clearly, oh my God, there it is, there it is, there it is. And listen, at no point in time when I'm just in the present moment, which you know is my life, <laughs> do I fully understand what's happening with soul real time? You know what I mean? Like Amen. my ability yeah. to understand soul real time has increased, but I still feel like the student, honest to God, man, I still feel like the apprentice to soul. Um, I'm still being schooled every day, you know, and I've been consciously living this path for 20 years. Um, I've just learned how to, how to be with that and how to be okay with that. You know, in the early years, it was always so difficult. So Anyway, those are a few thoughts. Did I answer your question? Yeah, and it, it sparks a lot in me um, that I'd like to share yeah, kind please. of the way that I try to understand it. So for whatever reason, I'm really drawn to the word Damon. Yes. And um, but I think it's interchangeable with soul. Mm-hmm. And the it feels like it's a whispering compass. Yes. And that if if you begin to to cultivate inner awareness of of how thoughts arise mm-hmm. there are thoughts that you can feel you have generated yes and then there are thoughts that you can feel occurred to you yes and of the ones that occur to you some will make your ego either inflate or deflate and that mm-hmm. and that's what most of us try to contend with with like the inner judge but then there's a different type of thought that occurs mm. that you don't generate and it doesn't ever inflate or depress the ego. Like it's not ever I'm great or I'm a mm-hmm. piece of shit, yeah. but it seems to be a single statement that is almost a command or mm-hmm. simply a statement that occurs in the presence of what you're talking about, either a synchronicity yes. or when you're reflecting on a dream or an animal appears in a way that doesn't make sense, and then a word or a phrase occurs to you, mm-hmm. and that that is the hint. Yes. And it might be like Montana, or it might be leave the job, yeah. or it might be she's the one, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And if you can parse out, because some people will use synchronicity to spiritually mm-hmm. bypass to create stories oh yeah. oh yeah and i think that each of us know when we're doing this yeah but we also know when the thought that arises is not of our thinking mind and it's a command and yes. it almost always scares the ego yes like the command is almost always like oh oh no 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 i i can't do that right. and what's also right. interesting is the the command is almost always intuitively understood as a call to some type of action to take. Yes. And that seems to be how you can subjectively hear the message of the daemon or the soul. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate? For sure, man. So a few things there. So when, I, when people connect with the soul, it is typically experienced as a calling. I love the word calling. Because it is, uh, uh, in in effect, drawing us forward. And I've always described the call of soul as both terrifying and irresistible. And I'll credit one of my my mentors for those particular terms. Um, Miriam Dror, who was an early amazing mentor of mine, um, first was described that as uh, the call of soul as irresistible and 
terrifying all at the same time because yes. by nature our soul draws us out um, yes. it's the ego that would keep us small and uh, um, fear-based or resistance-based behaviors and soul is drawing us out so it is soul is interested in our growth it doesn't give a shit if we're comfortable or not right <laughs> it wants us to live the the adventure of life right yeah. um and i will say this um Part of the nuance, I think, of soul is that uh, to your statement that soul is typically a call to an action. Oftentimes it is, and certainly I have experienced many of those. And I think earlier on I would have outright agreed with you, but I would offer for your consideration and for our listeners as well that sometimes soul is not calling us to an action, that sometimes soul is calling us to a way of being. Heard. Um, and I and that might be the reflection of my youth you know, that just wants it to be a call to for adventure. Sure. To for sure. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I, we need action. I'm not down on action. I'm not against action okay. by any means. My God, do we need action. And look at the world. All it takes is two seconds. Look at the headlines and look at the, the West Coast burning and coronavirus and political insanity. I mean, oh my God, do we need action? But importantly, um, and this is in, in my work with people, I, I make a very strong distinction here that part of connecting with purpose and soul and vision is about those actions. What are those big things I need to take on? You know, for me, starting Purpose Mountain and starting uh, Twin Eagles Wilderness School, going to, to Lake Tahoe with you and Aubrey and facilitating at the Fit for Service Mastermind. These were all outward actions that my soul called me to very clearly. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're smaller things. Sometimes they're grander things. Um, but there's this whole realm of actions that soul calls us to. And then there are also ways of being like claiming my essence. When I introduced mm -hmm. myself as white sulfur Springs sanctuary, this spiritual. I love that so place. much. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole story behind that too, by the way, but that for me, Eric, it evokes a way of being, it evokes my deepest self that I like, I can just, Oh my God, sit back and breathe. And like, I'm fully here. You know, I, it's like an invis. There is no action. It's just who am I being in this moment? What is my essence? You know, what soulful values do I have? What values do I need to claim as a human being and walk with? You know, for me, yeah. uh, we were talking about this earlier—that balance of power and humility, um, and not going too far in either one, but always finding that balance. Those are two soulful values for me. And I would offer that all of these are non-action oriented items that are very, very soulful completely resonate with that yeah so something that comes up um is let's say that someone is listening to the to this podcast and they're in complete resonance with everything that they are talking that we're talking about yeah. and they want to know where do i start if it feels like i have if they subjectively are telling themselves a story that they have no connection with soul they yeah. don't know what you're yeah. talking about where would you suggest Great. people begin? Well, if there's one context that – because here's the thing. None of us are in control of soul, right? I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with people. I, yeah. I do a lot of uh, group work. I do the big group process with you guys. Um, we're going to be together down in Sedona coming up here pretty soon. Um, I always tell people this. Look, I'm not in control. People hire me as their purpose guide, right? And I tell them, I, say, I don't know your purpose. I'm not in control of I'm not in control of your soul speaking and uttering your purpose to you. I don't I'm not in control of that. So I tell people right straight up, right? Yeah. So what can I do then? Well, 
I do know the path. I do understand how do we create the conditions right. where it is most likely that soul will speak to us. Yeah. And one of the greatest, clear, best practices is immersion in nature. Mm. Right. That was one of the things I found in my early years with the wilderness school work, the deep nature connection mentoring work was that those individuals who, who just made a connection with nature, Eric, not because they wanted to discover their purpose or their soul, but just because they wanted to have a deeper connection with nature, just connecting with nature for that sake alone, which by the way, is a, is a basic, I believe, fundamental human developmental need as important as having clean water, good food, a healthy family. I completely agree. Is having a relationship with the planet you live on, <laughs> like your habitat. That, that is an essential uh, need, developmental need for us as humans. And if that's not in place, that's something that can be brought back later in life. But to go back to answer your question, so we, we can't control soul and make it talk to us, but what we can do is create the conditions where it is most likely to speak to us. And so to very briefly answer that question, and you know, I've made a life for myself answering that question, um, <laughs> the, the, here's just a few basics. So the context really matters. So immersing in wild nature is probably number one. Now, I'm aware there's lots of people who, you know, do soul work um, and purpose work and visionary development that have nothing to do with nature. And I used to, frankly, I used to be like, what the fuck? Like, is, I couldn't even believe that was a possibility or a real thing. But I actually have discovered that, okay, people do actually do that. And they do it successfully, excuse me. But um, it, frankly, it's much more efficient and much more holistic. And there's a danger actually to doing it without nature. But yeah, there's a part of my woo woo mind that says that your soul took away your voice at the end of saying that they do it successfully because yeah. it's almost in rebellion of that, but you're being polite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> so back to answer your question. So, immersing in wild nature. And we also know that belief is one of, if not the most powerful force on earth. And so, and this is a little tricky one and kind of a chicken and egg issue here, but believing that it's possible and listen to those newcomers or someone who's just getting started. It's fine. If you have a big, strong voice that says, this is all bullshit, blah, 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 blah. But if you're listening and you're entertaining this conversation, you must have some at least tiny grain of sand size belief somewhere in you that this could be real. Uh, And a quote that I want to offer that really, highlights this point it's by Rumi and it's um if you take one step towards god god will cross the universe to meet you Mm. and that feels like that's the essence of this idea of belief that if you allow yourself the freedom to try as an experiment yes yes the act of faith that your purpose is trying to find you that that might be Mm. the one step that you need to take and then it will cross the universe to, to meet you Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great way to offer it. Try Literally. Okay. You're, you're just starting off. Try it as an experiment. Right. And right. part of that experiment is being willing to put the skeptic, the inner skeptic on hold for a certain amount of time. Like that is part of the experiment. You can't have it and be like, you know, <laughs> blasphemizing it or, or, or saying, oh my God, this is such bullshit the whole time. You have to give it a fair chance. But the, you know, the, the basics are this then. Um, Asking passionately 
finding that passion within that wants to know why am I here? What is my purpose? What's the next step on my journey? What is my vision? Now, those, these are big, big questions, right, in their own right. But even if it's a small version of that, you know, what does soul have to say to me right now? Um, and finding some, again, authentic place within that can access some passion and say, all right, you know, I, I want to know. I don't know. I feel like a beginner. Oh, my God, I have all these issues. And sometimes I feel like a failure. But God damn it, I want to know. What's my next step? Why am I here? You know, finding that passion and putting that out there. So treating soul as a person. If I was going to have a conversation with you, as we've been doing, I have to ask a question. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to assume you're going to read my mind. And then guess what? Then I have to be quiet and listen. And just listen. And that's how it goes with soul. So A, passionately asking the question. And B, quieting down and listening. And when I say quieting down, I really mean quiet down, like slow down, like go out in nature and just go chill. Go find a spot to sit or go wander without time and destination for a few hours. Uh, make your mind quiet. You know, meditation can help with this. Lose your mind and come to your senses. Be present in your smell and sight and taste and touch and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And be open to the mystery, to soul speaking to you in a myriad of ways. Maybe it's just going to answer through a simple feeling of just kind of, you know, it just feels right. Or maybe you'll have an animal encounter. Maybe you'll have a cool synchronicity. Maybe you'll, what, uh, remember a song that you haven't thought of in years. And you, all you remember is like the hum of how it goes. And you kind of look it up and you're like, oh my God, yeah. And then you start listening to it. And then you read the lyrics and you're like, oh my God, that's so what? weird. That's a direct answer to it. <laughs> Um, one yes. of my teachers used to say, randomly open a book. <laughs> Literally, yeah. he would say this, and, and you can find soul that way. Maybe a dream comes in, you know, but be open to maybe a memory, you know, be open to the myriad of, of those ways. It's very rare that soul speaks to us in English, although I have had those experiences, and those are yeah. profound, frankly, when they happen. Um. Yeah, and then the, the two big things, the other big thing that, that I think is really important to address here is vulnerability, right? Which is like, you know, the old thing, like you got the one neighbor and like you've seen them like a million times, but you've never actually like spoken to them <laughs> in any depth. You've done the hat tip a billion times, but you don't actually know them. So, but then you have like a new friend that you really connect with, kind of like you and I, and it's like, oh my God, there's such juice here. And and we open up and I open up to you and you open up to me, which we've both done. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I've known you for a thousand years. So what is that telling us? That's telling us that to have a connection requires vulnerability. If I want to connect with you, I got to open up and share something that might feel a little risky and vice versa. And when we do that, we connect. So guess what? Nature and soul is the same way. Nature wants your vulnerability. Go put something out there that's risky. Take a risk. You know, go out there and cry or yell. I mean, if you're a, an emotional spaz like I am, <laughs> I'm totally, you know, all expression, uh, very expressive with, uh, with myself. Some people aren't. That's fine. But the point being to express yourself passionately and vulnerably. 
that's a, those are another one of those those best practices. And so already we're asking people to kind of find their edge. You know, where's your growing edge? Ride that baby like a like a surfboard on the Pacific Ocean. You know, like ride that thing. Um, find that edge. Find that passion. Find that vulnerability. Ask. Listen. And you would be surprised what comes through. And then the other piece I would have to say is mentoring. You know, it is by definition the hardest thing for us to see ourselves clearly. Um, even yeah. when soul does speak to me, half the time still, I am lost. I'm like, what is going on? I don't get it. You know, I wake up with a dream and it's like, could be super obvious. And it'll be weeks before I realize the most basic, obvious thing. Fuck. Right. Oh my God. And, and, and that's by nature. We're not meant to be a, a solo species. We're meant, we're a social species. We're meant to connect. So it's easy, you know, way easier to see someone else's soul path than it is to see my own. And I think right. that's by design. I think we were designed that way so that we would connect, um, so that we can experience our, our wholeness in that way. Um, so those are a few thoughts to your, your question there. And what I would love, I feel called to offer how I understand it from a scientific biological aspect that I think supports and then also will help skeptics connect to some things. So one of the things to recognize is that you are more than your conscious mind. Most Mm -hmm. people before they, you know, quote unquote, start the spiritual path or start waking up, they intuitively believe that the totality of what they are is their conscious mind and their thoughts. And this is technically not true. And you can look at the research on how intuition or what science currently calls the non-conscious mind operates. Mm -hmm. And basically how to understand this is your conscious mind from a computational standpoint of Mm -hmm. everything that you're processing is like 1% of everything that you're doing. And then you have... And this is Jung's kind of framework. It's not how current psychologists understand it because it can get kind of muddy, but I think it makes sense, which is you then have a subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And a subconscious mind is anything that you could be conscious of in this moment, such as if I say, what are you feeling in your left pinky toe right now? Mm -hmm. Before I said that, you were not aware of any sensation in your pinky toe, but once I issued the language, you were able to put your awareness there and you were able to become aware of it there are things that you could be aware of right now that you aren't. And that's roughly like 15% of the totality of what you're computing in this moment. And then you have an unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind is creating hundreds of thousands of proteins in your body right now. It's repairing tissue at a level that you can't understand. It's making your heart beat and your lungs expand and it's pumping the lymphatic fluid and the blood through you. And it's also aware of everything that you have ever encountered. It is the part of you that generates your dreams. Mm. It is processing so much more than your conscious mind. And it seems to be as if there is an entity inside of your unconscious mind that is Mm. like your ego in the sense that it seems to have a will on some sense. And it's watching your life with you. Mm. And the way we've evolved is we've only had conscious, we've only been able to articulate language for the last maybe 100,000 years. Mm-hmm. And in the course of our evolution, in our evolutionary development, that's like 
if you map that on to 24 hours, we've only been able to speak for the last minute. But we've been communicating with nature and with each other inside of tribes without language for millions of years. Yes. And that part is the part of the unconscious mind. And so it doesn't have access to language, but it has access to images and emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is living with you. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that the acorn knows it's meant to be an oak tree. Mm-hmm. We seem to be born into the world with this knowing of what we are supposed to be. And that thing is trying to communicate to you through the channels that it has, which is emotions, which are images. And if you ignore those long enough, its last line of trying to connect to you seems to be illness. Mm-hmm. Or, or accidents. Or accidents, exactly. Yeah. And some other ways that it seems to pop up through my researching, you know, death psychology is one of the things that you touched on. Mm-hmm. If you remember a part of a song and it just pops up, yes. pay attention to the part of the song that you are remembering. Yes. If you actually go look at what that word or that phrase is, that's a message from the unconscious trying to connect with you. Yeah. Dreams are also one of the most powerful and oh, yeah. ancient oh, ways yeah. that this part has tried to speak to you. And if you just take a moment to connect to what a dream is, mm-hmm. there's a part of you that is so powerful that it's able to generate a world for you mm-hmm. to communicate things to you about your life that you don't know. Yeah. And that it's so powerful that 99% of the time you can't even discern that it's not the real world. Mm-hmm. So there's this entity inside of you that is that is millions of years old yeah. that is processing inf- infinitely more information than your conscious mind is. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to guide you, but it can't use language. And I think that that's the soul. Beautifully said, Eric. Beautifully said. And yes, it is at once inside of us. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> as, as well as outside yeah. of us, right? Like yeah. soul belongs to us. My soul yeah. belongs to me as much as it belongs to the world. Yes. Right? It, 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 it connects us with the infinite, with all the interrelated, interrelated nature of life itself. Um, yeah. yeah. One of my Beautiful. big downloads when I did ayahuasca. Um, so I did ayahuasca for the first time last year. And I came with some pretty big fucking questions. And my first question was, what is the psyche? Or my question was, what is the human psyche? Mm-hmm. And when I started to really feel, the, and again, this is a felt experience, but I felt the spirit of ayahuasca was now in my space. Yes. I asked her in my mind, what is the human psyche? And instantly she said, what makes you think it's human? <laughs> and, I, and I just got these goosebumps. And then I asked, <laughs> what is the psyche? And she said instantly, the totality of possible experiences. Mm. And then I asked, is there something about the psyche that I don't know that you could teach me? Mm-hmm. And instantly she said, um, what I can teach you, I can't tell you, but I can show you. Mm. And then I went into such a deep visionary space that somebody else in the room like had an experience where they were screaming and like banging on the floor and I couldn't hear it. And Mm. I only learned that it happened Mm. afterwards. Wow. But the felt experience of the first thing that it felt like she showed me, and it took me months to unpack this was that there is only one psyche 
And it's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And we don't even have words to capture it. But most of the time when we use the word the universe or everything or mm-hmm. eternity, it's one psyche. And you can imagine it's almost like the ocean. Yes. And your individual psyche is like a bubble of foam on the top of the ocean. But it is of the entire thing. Yes. And there seems to be a non-local connection that the conscious mind can never understand. Mm-hmm. And when you tell me, like I instantly felt the truth of what you were saying. This, mm. The soul is within you, but it is also of everything yeah. and is for the whole. Yes. Yeah, so by definition, when we connect with our soul, that's when we connect with purpose. And by definition, connecting with our purpose is in service to the whole. Yeah. Right? It's in service to the children. It's in service to the earth. It's in service to the people. Um, you're familiar, you must be familiar with, uh, Maslow, huh? Yes. Maslow's hierarchy. Here, here's, here's a pet peeve of mine. Love Maslow, love his work. And I, I'm aware that there are, are different versions of his work, but the basic version, right? What's on, most people know this, what's on the very top of the triangle? Self-actualization. Yeah. Total, um, <laughs> button pusher for me. If you, if you work with earth-based people, you know, he worked with Gilbert Walking Bull. If we were to ask him what's on top of the triangle or go back, any, any spiritual earth-based individual would, would tell you some subversion of this, which is what's on the top of the triangle is me giving myself fully to the earth and to my people. Yep. So most now, people don't he, know this, but at the end of his life, he actually he, he added did it. Yes. Did okay, yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I am yeah. aware of that, but it still bugs me that the main right. one that people know does not address that. And, and what's wild, and this is just a, a thing to put on the side, he yeah. never made that pyramid that was made by a consulting firm to sell his ideas to other companies so they could get paid. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a huge meme that he never actually created. Right. 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 But I think that that's, that tells us something, you know? Yes. If, if we're going to really take this journey, it's about service. And that doesn't mean that it's not about you. Because, listen, each person has got a birthright to receive, to receive love from the earth, from others, you know, from mentors, from life itself. And how can I really give something if I haven't received it to begin with? So, so often in my right. work, there's a lot of giving that people need. And look, yeah. let's admit we're in a broken world, brother. I mean, so many yeah. people... So I, I, I know I didn't get it as a kid, you know, didn't, didn't get what was needed, you know, and didn't get to receive. And so of course, you know, there's that learning journey. Um, there's another quote I, I love, um, you know, do you know Michael Beckworth? No, he's a spiritual pastor, actually. Um, amazing guy. So his, the quote is this, uh, excuse me, pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. I love it. Isn't that good? And and of course, what he means by that is pain. The so on the on a short term uh, way of looking at that, we could say, what is the pain he's talking about? Well, the pain is like anything in life that's not working is basically one way to interpret it is soul telling us we are capable of a greater experience in this realm. Wow! Right? And then in the that's short term. And then the vision is like the thing I want, you know, the, the, the relationship I want or the, the job I want. Now, if we, if we back out and take a big objective view on it, we can say that really the journey of life is like a mountain. 
and climbing up that yes. mountain towards the peak is the first half and coming down is the second half. Now, this is very generic here, um, but pain is pushing us up that mountain, the first half of life. What, is, what does that mean? Well, that means we're facing all of those small stories, um, all of our trauma. You know, we're, we're, we're up against ourselves, you know, the part that doesn't believe, the part that believes I'm a victim and oh, poor me and, and all of that. That's very real. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not knocking it. Like that's a journey in this life is facing that pain and, and healing it, right? And coming to that. And eventually what we realize is that when we get to that peak is, oh my God, all those moments were sacred moments. They were teaching me something. Um, yeah, it was painful. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I've had my trauma. You've got yours. We've all got ours. I'm sorry. But there is some gold in that. It doesn't mean it's all bad. There is goodness in that for us as people. And when we can claim that, that's a developmental indicator on the journey of soul, right, Eric, is that when an individual can look back at their trauma and say, I am thankful for that. Yeah. Because it taught me something essential yeah. to why I'm here. And then I can use that in a positive way, serving others, coming down that mountain. Then it's the vision until the vision pulls you, you know, and that is like the gravity pulling us down the mountain, you know, bringing us down. And, and thankfully I've, I've done enough work that I, I, I believe I am, I'm on that side of things. My life yeah. was super, super hard in the early years. It just was. Um, but I've done enough work that I've found myself on the other side of that facing myself, you know, and I get, I guess that's an essential message I really want to offer to our listeners is, deep change and healing and holing and discovering your purpose really is possible. I mean, I would have never dreamed of being on a, in front of a microphone recording myself and not to mention facilitating others and groups. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like I thought I was a loser for the first 25 years of my life. I mean, I knew I was a loser for the first 25 years of my life, honest to God. And, you know, and yet I've changed. And that change is possible. So I, I so want our listeners to really mm, take that to heart. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours. And I want to have <laughs> you back on the podcast yeah, multiple man. times. Yeah. You know, there's so many stories that you have inside of you that would oh, be absurd. Yeah, we haven't even started. Yeah. I know. Uh, there is a question that I love to end with. Okay. And then we are going to have many more podcasts. But awesome. Let's say that. You get to the end of your life, you've accomplished mm. your soul's calling, and you know that at the end of this day, you are going to die peacefully in your sleep. Mm. How would you want to spend that last day, and who would you want to spend it with? Mm. Well, um, my family you know, is the first that comes to mind. And my, when I say family, I mean my, my blood family, you know, so my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sister, grandparents, um, and my wife, my kids, my, if I had grandkids, of course, um, and my family, my soul family, you know, um, those people that I've connected so deeply with in this life that I just, you know, we call each other brother or uncle or <laughs> nephew, um, or sister or niece. Um, and how would I want to spend that day? If I could have it, I'd just go to somewhere beautiful and wild. 
and uh, with people I love and just one more time taking in the awe of the miracle and the wonder of the miracle of life. Like, my God, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I mean, sure, if it's the Alaskan wilderness, oh, my God, that's amazing, or Lake Tahoe or the Sedona Red Rocks, beautiful. But you know what? That's just as sacred as a blade of grass growing through the New York City sidewalk or, you know, a starling or a seagull landing on the grocery store (laughs) roof, you know, but to be present with the miracle of life itself on earth, you know, this life here. Um, Because I believe this is a gift. I I believe life is a gift and it's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be treasured. It's meant to be enjoyed and meant to be given. Um, And if not to the people we love, then, then who, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you could leave a message on a piece of paper for your grandchildren before you go to bed, what would you write? Dude, you're such a deep diver. I love you. Um, Well, I'm going to ask the audience not to get too judgmental with me here, (laughs) but I I think one of the first things I'd have to say is I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry for the way my generation has treated this earth. And I'm sorry we haven't left it better for you. Um, Now, listen, that's not my actions. That's not a personal statement. That's a statement on behalf of, like, my generation. Um, But I I am not pleased with how my generation has treated this earth and what we've done. Um, Another topic for another time. But I would say that. I would say I'm sorry. And I would say I love you. And I would quickly scribble down everything we've been talking about on this podcast. And, like, Here's the treasure map. You know, you've got vision, you've got purpose, you've got a soul, go find it. Um, I mean, that's my life. That's what I've dedicated my life to do is to pass on that map and every step I take. And, you know, it's like mapping that out and like, Oh my God, okay. I figured out another room. Oh my God, check this out. And then passing that on in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I deeply, more than almost anyone I've met, trust you as a guide. And I would love for you to share, if people want to connect with your work or with you more deeply, where can they go and what would you recommend to them if they're curious? Well, thanks, Eric. Yeah. Um, So I would start people off at Purpose Mountain, and that's on the web, just Real easy, www.purposemountain.com. No spaces or dashes or anything, just purposemountain.com. Check me out there. I've got a free download people can get. I, I put some real time into it. It's like a 30, 40-page uh, like workbook that I put together that includes the soul wander and um, the different aspects of purpose and a great story about a grizzly bear on the mountaintop that um, I'll probably have to come back and tell that story on the podcast <laughs> yeah. every time you've heard that story. Yes. Um, and some quick exercises on judgments and projection that are quick, powerful ways to dig right into the soul. Um, that would be another thing to do in the podcast sometime. But yeah, there's some great stuff there. Purposemountain.com. Reach out to me. I do a lot of work, individuals one-on-one, and I do group stuff, uh, lead vision quests. Um, and then if people, that's for the the, the, the soul connection, that the purpose connection. And if people are interested in um, more the direct nature connection, those wilderness survival skills and animal tracking and plant work and all of that, uh, then check out my wilderness school. That's Twin Eagles Wilderness School. On the web, it's just twineagles.org. 
So www.twineagles, plural eagles.org. Um, we've got a bunch of resources and articles and we do programs year round, youth and adults um, up in person in, uh, in Sandpoint, Idaho, Northern Idaho, where I live. So yeah, those are two great ways. And I warmly welcome people to come check out my offerings. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much for saying yes to your soul and for coming on the podcast mm -hmm. and for sharing your truth, brother. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I so appreciate um, our connection, our friendship, our brotherhood, our soul brotherhood here. And I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, share my message with, with a bigger audience. Yeah. And there will be more. I hope you have a beautiful day and thank you so much, man. Okay. Many blessings. <laughs>